how do we pronounce the um his name? Is it Tachovsky? What are you doing here? Why don't you take this bottle and go to bed? Paradiso. Welcome to episode one of Cinephile Paradiso. Very exciting. My name is David Charles Collins and this is my beautiful co-host sitting opposite me, Quade Kirshner. The premise of this podcast is simple. Every week we give each other a movie to watch based on a chosen theme for that week. Exactly. And then we compare our thoughts, discuss, and then we talk about both films. And this week we've decided that the theme is ballet originally it was dance but uh we ended up both picking films that were ballet orientated and coincidentally both of them had swan lake in them so first let's start with a little bit of background about swan lake swan lake is a ballet composed by a russian composer and quade seeing as you were practicing this so perfectly before let's see if you can get the name right can i just do the surname no no all of it give him a go he worked hard for this come on uh let's go uh piotr Ilyich tachovsky oh my god that was awful. Listen, A for effort. A for effort. In 1875-76, to 76, and if you can't tell, I'm butchering this from um, Wikipedia, uh, despite its initial failures, it is now one of the most popular ballets of all time. I love it when um, something makes a major comeback. Like, originally, it's considered shit, and then all of a sudden, it has a massive, like, renaissance. So. It's a beautiful I told you so from the artist. Yeah, definitely. It's even better when it happens during their lifetime. And so, pretty much what Swan Lake is about, it's based off a Russian and German uh, fairy tale, and it tells the story of Odette, and she's a princess who is turned into a swan by an evil sorcerer's curse. There is no evidence to prove who wrote the original libretto, or where the idea for the plot came from. Um, there's a lot of speculation that it's from different Russian and German folk tales, including one that I've never heard of before called The Stolen Veil by, now it's my turn to try name, John Carl August Massaus. I feel like that was a bit easier than your one. Massaus, I like that, Massaus. But both those tales differ significantly from the ballet. I love it. And um, look, some contemporaries of Tchaikovsky recalled the composer taking great interest in the life story of Bavarian King Ludwig II, whose life had supposedly been marked by the sign of a swan and could have been the prototype of the dreamer Prince Siegfried. Quaid, if, if your life has been marked by the sign of any animal, what animal do you think it's been marked by the sign of? I have had some history with black swans. I remember in my primary school, we all had to pick an Australian animal to do a like short essay about. And I did mine about the black swan. It was... Very elegant. Yeah. So, had a little bit of an, an obsessive phase. <laughs> a solid month. It's not like you to be obsessive. Yeah. Okay. So, the first film, which may come as no surprise, is Black Swan, the 2010 horror film by Darren Aronofsky. Darren. <laughs> I know. <laughs> we love Daz. Mm -hmm. The film revolves around the production of Tchaikovsky's Swan Lake by the New York Ballet Company. Nina, who is played by Natalie Portman, is a ballerina in New York City Ballet Company whose life, like all of her profession, is completely consumed with dance. She lives with her obsessive former ballerina mother, Erica, who's played by Hershey, who exerts a suffocating control over her. 
Now, the artistic director, who's played by Cassell, decides to replace prima ballerina Beth, who's played by Winona Ryder, for the opening production of the new season of Swan Lake. Ooh, I know. Nina is her first choice. But Nina has competition. This new dancer, it's Meg from Family Guy. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, it's Lily, who's played by Mila Kunis. Which is equally as funny. Massively underrated actress. I think she's incredible, but we can go into that later. Okay, yeah, look, yeah, we'll go into that later. I've got got a few things to say about that. You've got a few things to say about, about Kunis? All right. Who impresses Leroy as well. Swan Lake requires a dancer who can play both the white swan with innocence and grace and the black swan who represents guile, sensuality. And Nina fits the white swan role perfectly, but Lily is the personification of the black swan. As the two young dancers expand their rivalry into a twisted friendship, Nina begins to get more in touch with her dark side. A recklessness that threatens to destroy her. Are we talking about lesbianism? Because I feel like, is that what... I, I mean, I watched this again last night, and I was like, fuck, this is really um, an LGBT film. It, it, you know, it really is. Like, there's so many things I that went way over my head when I first watched this all those years ago. I mean, I, I think that it's LGBTQI in sort of associates, um, I guess, this Freudian self-love with the shadow self as being something homoerotic. But I'm not against it. I don't hate it. The shadow self, that makes sense because of all the mirror scenes when she's seeing herself in the mirror and even though she won't move, her mirror self will will move. And even other characters, like Mila Kunis, for instance, her character, her face would all of a sudden, in some scenes, change to Natalie's face. So, is that what you mean by the shadow self? My uh, my butchered understanding of it is the shadow self is sort of the subconscious self, the the um, the version of ourself that is inverse to the version that we express in everyday life. So, people usually associate that with the darker side of your uh, personality, but it serves you. It's you know we exist in polarity. It's the side that you suppress that you don't want society to see, even though it's there. Yes, underneath and, the cracks. Is well, that what we're saying? Absolutely. And even though it's it's a side that is just as relevant as the light, and you know, without it, we don't have that polarity. That um, it, I mean, it's essentially we're probably jumping the gun a little bit. But for me, it's what the film is about. It's about that balance between you know the, I guess to uh, use colloquial terms, the the lighter and the darker side of your personality, and the balance of those two things, the control and then also the freedom that um, that the black swan represents. That's more sensual and dark and sexual. You know what I would love to start with? Go on. Do you remember the first time you watched Black Swan? Like, do you remember where it was? What the situation surrounding it was? You know, I reckon I probably... Look, I support support movies, everyone. Go and see them in cinemas. Uh, pay for them. Rent them. Uh, but I remember at least once, like, trying to find it frantically somewhere on my laptop and, and watching it in bed. But, I'm, but I might have also watched it in the cinema. I don't know. I remember seeing parodies of this film before seeing this film. So you saw the SNL skit with Jim Carrey? I saw the SNL skit uh, with Jim Carrey. You tell me now, when was the first time you watched well, it? Well, the first time I watched it... Because it... 2010, you would have been a wee bubba back then. I, yep, I was in year 10. I was 15 going on 16 because, what, the movie came out in... Was it August or...? Oh, God. Um, God I've, I've got the year. I don't have the month. It was 2010 and it was at the Whitford's Grand Cinemas. And I'm pretty sure I was on a double date with one of my closest friends and... Yeah, it was... Um, Did you I, discover something about your twin self and have a homoerotic awakening? While I, mean, the film? I mean, I don't think it was a homoerotic awakening because I was still so far in the closet at that point. So I was on a double date seeing another girl. So that was obviously um, 
I wasn't ready then, but... Did they have a homoerotic awakening with one another? I mean, I don't think so because they're both, like, engaged in getting married to their respective um, opposite sex partners. So. Okay, well, then they'll never be prima ballerina exactly, in New York ballet. What I will say is because I had no, I guess, exposure to psychological thrillers before or even art house cinema. Now, I'm not saying Black Swan is art house in any sense, Let, it but it's kind of like, it's kind of like the marijuana to meth. It's like the, it's like the opening. It's like you start with the weed and then you start taking the meth for all those people back in Perth listening. Um, <laughs> Shouts out Perth. Yeah. But um, yeah, I don't know. I think, and I think for someone that doesn't have much of a rich or deep appreciation of film, that I didn't have back then. When I first watched Black Swan, it literally blew my mind. I was like, holy shit, this is so cool. But now, watching it now, I still love it, but I don't think it has that same effect on me because I have seen now so many more films that kind of address similar sort of... But I, I get that. It was your it was your first art film. It was kind of like yeah, the first time but I is saw... It, do we consider it an art film? It's not self-conscious in, in a way of trying to make itself artsy fartsy it's sort of just trying to tell a story using the the nuance of symbolism and allegory rather than being obsessed with smashing the audience in the face going you know look how out there and interesting we're being here no he wasn't trying to in that movie no he was not in trying to impress anyone he was telling oh, a story no, he was definitely trying to impress people but he <laughs> i mean i don't i don't know it didn't seem try hard that's what i'm saying it doesn't okay. come across as try hard to me it, no. it felt authentic in what it was trying to say no fair it, i think an interesting i don't know why the, i put these two in like together in my head but shama shama lama ding dong <laughs> shama lama <laughs> uh, sh- wait as in um and wait m night Shyamalan. Yeah, Shyamalan, who made, who made only one good movie. Well, that's what I was going to say. I, th- I think sense. I think the inverse, exactly, the inverse of Aronofsky is him, where the, he's trying to make a point of, oh, there's a twist and I'm being so artsy and interesting, mm. and the story suffers for that. But Aronofsky, I feel like he, he, is, he is telling, you know, I mean, I feel like, okay, we've banged on about this point a bit too much. But no, I, I understand yeah. what you mean by it being the gateway you know, indie movie that, I mean, it's not even an indie movie, but yeah, movie that just isn't, you know, you're straight down the line superhero sort of thing, which I don't even know was a massive trope in 2010, but I guess you'd be the expert on that and we can talk about that later. Yeah, I think now that we should go back to the theme. So we spoke about the shadow self, but another theme I really wanted to bring up Mm -hmm. is the obsession with perfection. That is a major theme in this film. And I love that it focuses and centers on ballet because with ballet, there is that, whole thing about you wanting to be perfect in any art form you want to be the best you want to be perfect at it to the point where you start to lose sight of why you were doing it in the first place it becomes unhealthy i I completely agree i really love how you bring up the idea of losing sight of yourself that is where ultimately she is being told she's failed in her art because she doesn't have that freedom and looseness that she needs to have for the black swan, which mm. you're sort of left to either believe that Mila Kunis's character <laughs> is another person or is another version of herself that she's had to externalise because she is so obsessed that she is no longer projecting herself into her art because she's so sterile, separate to it, trying to become yes. perfect. Yes, no, exactly. And also, she doesn't have an identity in this film. Her identity is ballet. Yeah. It is ballet. There's nothing else to her. And even there was a scene where she's um, sitting down meeting these two guys and they ask her, oh, um, what's your name? And yeah. instead, of, instead of her hearing, what's your name? She heard, oh, what do you do? And yeah. she straight away said, ballet. And then they said, no, 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 I was asking you what your name was. Yeah. 
And yeah, that was really and and I and I think the mother like is also. I mean, I think all oh the mother. All are we gonna go? Mother. Are we gonna go there? We're we gonna the talk mother? about the, the mother. mother. Jesus Christ, the mother. That yeah, you go on because you probably well, want to say something about the well, mother. I but I got a lot of stuff to say about the fucking mother. The, Jesus Christ, <laughs> the mother is the next stage of that because her like her um her ideal like like you know she's a stage mum. Her vision <laughs> and her identity is wrapped up in her artwork, quote unquote. Um, is is her daughter like we mm. haven't seen when we come into that room and she's just painting these pictures of her daughter over and over and, and over wailing again. while doing it? She was crying while she's painting some of those pictures. Exactly. It was really unsettling. Exactly because she's poured so much of what she is projecting and want into the world into her daughter. Her daughter is the thing she's crafting and she's creating. Um, and you know the paintings are sort of I guess a projection of that of trying to mold this perfect ideal, which again a bit like. Kunis's character is separate to the actual person who's sort of lost in all of that. You talk about it for a second because there's something else I want to get to. Well, what I found really interesting about the mother was the whole time I was getting, okay, she's living through her daughter. She she didn't accomplish her dreams, so now she wants Nina to accom- accomplish these heights. But then I I was so shocked and surprised when I found that there were points where the mother was pulling back a bit and saying to her, hey... You're, you're now pushing yourself too hard. I, you're, oh, you're, you're not looking after you're, yourself. You're not looking after yourself. And that's what threw me a bit because I'm like, okay, so that's what made me kind of like the mum a yeah. bit because I was like, okay, she's not completely insane. Yeah. That She's not completely black and white. There is that grey where you do see her humanity. She she even makes comments about her dance teacher. What's her dance teacher's name again? Oh, next question. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, what, whatever. And he, like she even says, hey, um... Is he being inappropriate with you? Is he trying to take yes. advantage of you? So the mum's not completely insane. No, there, no. There's a bit of humanity to it. Well, also the bit with the birthday cake where, you know, that, that control comes back into it and she just wants her... Like, she gets so upset and disappointed because she's like, Mum, I can't eat any of this cake or else I'm not going to weigh in. Like, I can't I can't do this or I'm not going to be able to dance. And the mum gets so upset and they have to negotiate with, oh, the icing's yummy. Yeah, I'll lick it off your finger, mummy. Like, <laughs> it's just, I think it's that relationship is so delicious because I love how you, you're not given any history. Like, you don't know what the history is of this relationship. You Like, all I'm assuming is that the father, you know, fucked off at one point. And it was just... Well, what I like is that that's not relevant. So, I mean, I guess the movie... It's difficult because it's a movie that is being made by a man and the key characters exploring the themes are women. And I think that it's difficult to explore complex psychological themes without entering the dangerous territory of the hysterical woman. Like, um, you know, sort of like, oh, she's crazy. It's like, but but is that is that some sort of, you know... Um, I guess, exploration of, of women as these sort of like emotional things that just hurtle through life? Or is it exploring them and unpacking them properly as complex humans with, you know, with demons and hopes and dreams and desires, which you would hope that that's how it is being taken and how it's being read. If we are looking at it from, you know, that perspective, then what happened to the dad really is redundant. They're both women who have their own shit going on separate to daddy issues. No, it doesn't I completely always have to come agree. back to their victimhood yeah. to do with a man. So I should have probably worded that better. Not that I just just care about what happened to the father. I'm, like, I, I care this movie if I could see, see more. That, yeah, of the if dad. I saw the daddy, I would be so <laughs> more into this. Film. No, what, Papa. what I'm essentially saying is not just aside from the father. I'm very curious. The movie made me interested to know what was like. What is their story before this all happened? Like, how did they get to this point in but their that's life? A different together? movie. No, I... no, exactly. But it still makes you, and that's why the movie's so good because it does make you think about that stuff. Like, yeah. if you just finished watching the movie and you didn't think about it at all afterwards, it didn't really do its job. But I was so curious afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. thinking of different scenarios in my head being like oh i wonder like 
you know, did she stop being a ballet dancer because she had to have Nina and then the father, you know, left and then she was with Nina and then they form this really unhealthy bond because she's like, I, I'm assuming Natalie Portman's what, in her mid-20s in the film? And then there's a shelf life because of what that takes out of you. And then when it yeah. ends, you go, where am I now? What has this left me with? What is my worth? Because, you know, you it has demanded so much of you. Where we see Winona Ryder's character, I think it's easy to demonise her as like, you know, again, the hysterical crazy bit. No, I felt sorry for her. I'm a bit upset that, like, in the film, we don't even see her steal anything. Like, I feel like that, like... You know, she actually has things stolen from her. In from the- her, yeah. So maybe that was the director doing a bit of a nod to... Her troubled past. Troubled past. Up some of her trauma to shake out a performance from her, not unlike the movie. Um, you really have identity crises coming out of that because you're not sure necessarily where you put yourself that whole time. So, you know, I feel bad for that character and oh yeah no i did too because you could also tell that he didn't just have her as his you know main dancer he was also sexually exploiting her 100 percent. and that's the other thing i think that the film touches on beautifully because i mean not beautifully but um, (laughs) beautifully it was beautiful aggressively but accurately is that the their dedication to the art form and the pursuit of what they're after is exploited by the coach or the dance teacher. And, you know, that's that's happens in many workplaces and maybe you're an actor and it's a director or a casting director that exploits that out of you or you're a model and, you know, like, or you, you know, or you are a dancer or you are an athlete and how so often people who are in a position of power to either make or break someone will groom and manipulate someone so that they can get out of them what they want. They're these gatekeepers, you know, the Weinstein-esque people that really are self-interested at the end of the day and sort of just pour a heap of wank into the talk about the thing that they happen to be in charge of rather than sincerely caring about the vision endpoint. Yeah, no, definitely. Wow, that was a lot, David. <laughs> that was, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Quite, you're crying. Yeah, yeah. Um. I think we need to now talk about good old Mila Kunis. Yes. Oh, yes. Yeah. Tell me what you... So, what's your... um... Okay. I'm not going to lie. I think she is brilliant in the role. However, I did not believe that she was a ballet dancer. Not the way that I believed that Natalie was a real ballet dancer. It kind of felt... Well, I have some thoughts on that, but we can talk about that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no. We will go there. The controversy. But, yeah. Yeah. Mila Kunis, like, it kind of almost felt like an SNL skit while I was watching her. Like... Is that because you've seen the SNL skit? No, it's not because (laughs) I've seen the SNL skit. It was just kind of funny. She was playing that whole, like, yeah, I'm that badass ballerina that likes to smoke and get drunk and take drugs and, like... I don't know, which is absolutely fine, like, power to her, but it kind of almost felt a bit gimmicky. That's the whole thing about her being the black swan, because the black swan can lose control, whereas Nina can't, because Nina's the complete polar opposite. But for me, she wasn't a real person. She was Nina's idea of the bad girl smoking cigarettes, going out So you don't think the character was real at all? I I mean, I don't think... In the whole film? I don't think it's important whether she's real or not. I think that it is... But I do think that a lot of her is an expression of Nina, and I think Nina went, this is what bad people who let their hair down do this is what bad girls do they smoke cigarettes and go dancing with boys um so i think that you know the superficiality of that was sort of like the hamminess of someone who's not necessarily authentically living it but i mean who knows also there's lots of angsty emo whenever i saw her in the film i laughed and not in a bad way in in a good way because i was like i'm on this journey with you mila but yeah she was she was having so much fun and you could tell it was um yeah 
yeah, no. I enjoyed when she was putting the makeup on and she's like, I'm being the swan now. Yeah. <laughs> so you obviously, I know you've been like dying to tell everyone about the controversy concerning Natalie Portman saying that she was doing all her own dance moves, which I did a bit of research into it. And apparently 80, I think 80% of the film, all that you see is Natalie actually dancing. Okay, I have issue with this because oh, okay. I think that it, ta- it takes nothing away from Natalie Portman's incredible acting and blah, 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 and the work that she did put in for a year, not her entire lifetime, to learn to portray yeah, a ballet amazing dancer. amazing to do that in a year. That's pretty... Well, this, no, this is the problem. She got a lot of compliments for doing it in a year, but the thing is... The dance was done by Sarah Lane, who was her dance double, who is an incredible ballerina who has spent her entire life not living the caricature that's portrayed in the movie, but definitely making sacrifices so she can perform like that. And the fact that so much was done to market the film, to be dubious and to sort of like obscure how much was her because the spotlight was obviously on, you know, the lead actress. So things like, hang on, let's have a look. So I've got a statement here. In March 3rd, 2011, blog post written prior to the DVD release for Dance Magazine, its editor-in-chief Wendy Perone asked why a visual effects clip showing Lane's face being replaced by Portman's had been available online but was removed prior to the Oscars. She also speculated as to whether Portman's omission of Lane's name during her acceptance speech was a case of forgetfulness in the heart of the moment or was it a mission and the deletion from the video planned by the studio's publicity machine, which... You know, I've seen working in the arts happen quite a bit where the people that work to realise the, you know, it takes a village to create a masterpiece and then usually they'll want a genius's name attached to it at the end of it, genius quote unquote, and then remove all the other hardworking artisans who worked on it. Yeah, there, there was a statement saying we were fortunate to have Sarah there to cover the more complicated dance sequences and we have nothing but praise for the hard work she did. See, However, they do, they wait, still have knowledge. However, Natalie herself did uh, most of the dance featured in the final film. Now... True, but the actual dance of the ballet, not the stuff that's happening, you know, in the rehearsal room. The As actual, in the choreography. No, the performance, you know, the bit where she's actually performing at the end of the crescendo of the film where she is dancing Swan Lake. Yeah, before she jumps onto the mattress. Yes, yeah. the bit where we see the performance. Mm. That is the dancer. That's Lane. So we see Natalie Portman doing all the stretching and the stuff in the practice room mm. and all the other stuff and, you know, the crushing Wait, of the Wait, as in the very, very final performance on stage before she bleeds to death. Absolutely. No, because you see her face on it. Or do they superimpose her they face? They superimpose it? it. They've green screened it out. If you find the footage, she's got like a, almost like a green mask dotted out of her face and then they map um, Natalie Portman's face on. That's the mm. sort of thing. Like this is an incredibly difficult ballet. You don't just, again, practice for a year and then go, I've You're got this. You're able to do it. Exactly. It, it takes so much work. So I think, you know, uh, dumbing it down to 80% of the dance was done by Portman. It's like, yeah, but that 20% that was done is the stuff that really makes you believe you know, that this is someone who is this incredible immaculate dancer. And to just say, to be so dismissive of, oh, she was just there to tidy up the the, the more complicated bits, not even giving it the weight that it deserves. I just don't think that's good enough. <laughs> mm, yeah, look, I hope she got paid well. That's all I'll say. No, fair. I, I, yeah, I, I hope she, she got paid well. well. And yeah. I mean, it is it is hard because at the end of the day, you are marketing this as a Natalie Portman film. It's not like you're going to say Black Swan with Natalie Portman featuring... But, um, what's but, her name? Sorry, I forgot. I should... Sarah Lane. Her Sarah Lane. Sarah Lane. Yeah, the Sarah incredible Lane. Sarah Lane. Um, 
And no, absolutely. But again, you wouldn't say that um, Natalie Portman directed and wrote the film. You know, it's like mm. credit where credit's due to people. Like it, Natalie Portman is no less in this film for crediting Sarah Lane. It's still Natalie Portman front and center. And no one's going to give, apart from dancers who are huge dance fans and actually know who these people are, exactly. no one's probably going to care that much about who no, Sarah Lane is. No. But the people that do care and who are watching it are going... That's not cool. Well, no, because, you know, because... People who are, and I mean this in a, like, because I'm a nerd, I love nerds. Nerds are people who care enough about something to 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 be interested about them, to be interested about it. Dance nerds, mm. this is important to them, and they deserve to have it, you know, I prefer recognized. geek. I feel like geek is when you're more obsessed you know, with them. No, nerd, and nerd is more when you're intelligent with um, scientific. Do you know what a geek is? Yeah, a geek is like, you know, a comic geek, someone that, like, loves pop culture or any sort of um, no, a specific geek, a geek subject is from, type. A geek is from the circus. It's someone who'd bite the heads off chickens oh my god well then <laughs> call me a geek um, <laughs> um is it because he like, likes having a cock in his yeah by the end of the cock um, <laughs> god this is this is supposed to be about films not like inappropriate sex jokes it's so um, fine we're talking about the movie where she but, masturbates in front of her mother oh so. that was amazing that that's amazing okay um but no one thing i do also want to say is i love how ballet you think of beauty perfection Whereas the movie shows a really ugly side to ballet. I love that part where there's her back. It's the teacher going through some moves with Nina. There was a close-up shot of her back and you saw the way her muscles moved when yeah. she was moving her arms. And and I just love all the, um, I guess, uh, perfection to detail. You see the movement of the muscles. You see like the blood, the cracks in the nails. You see... Even the way that they break their shoes in, it's quite um, aggressive and it's quite animalistic and it brings this other darker side to ballet, which I think is really cool because people that don't really know ballet, they look at it at face value and think, oh, it's just like cute pink tutus and like, la la la. But there's so much more to it. There's almost like a brutal side to it, which I thought was really well presented in the film. And I also want to pay some respects to the production designer of The Black Swan. I don't know her name. I feel really bad that I'm talking about her without actually doing that research properly. But the production design was amazing because I don't know if you remember, David, but there were a few scenes where the swan was placed in a few different set pieces. So, for instance, in oh, in me. Nina's bedroom, there is actually... You know how there's all the soft toys everywhere? Yeah. There is a, a Black Swan soft toy that's placed amongst all these other, like, white bunnies and bears. And so it's funny how, like, you only pick up on these things when you watch the movie a few more times. And then the part where she's in the bathtub, the tile above her has a swan printed on it. Printed on it. So I thought that was really, really cool. Like all the placement that. of the swans a little i mean a little bit on the nose but i was i liked it no i, I like it and we we're also recording in a room with a swan so oh yep taxidermy swan. taxidermy yeah. swan yeah what was this one's name again this is claudia we've got claudia, claudia. yeah what was your favorite part of the movie favorite i mean look natalie is amazing so i would probably have to oh see that's hard look to be honest i think her acting in that film was probably my favorite part. I'd put that probably above the script, above yeah. set design, above She carries costuming. off the film. She carries the film, yeah. essentially. And I'd give it... Are we saying what rating we'll give the film? No. 
No, okay, we're not going. Go I want to stay away from ratings. I think it's better to talk oh, about. No, I well, love giving ratings but, though but because I feel like just, it boils it down to simplistic. People can argue with us and say, "Hey, well, this is what we think." Yeah, but everywhere does that. You know, I'm just like, oh, let's discuss the film and then you know leave with the essence of what we feel rather than going, "I give it this many stars out of I, this." I give it four stars. All right, out of five. fine. Okay, fine, <laughs> fine, fine. All right, we've already lost that battle. <laughs> okay, well, <laughs> so uh, okay. Uh, what was your favorite part? Oh, the acting. Okay. Well, yeah, no, her acting. And I think, you know what? I think his best film is still Requiem for a Dream. I feel like Requiem for a Dream dun, dun, is dun, him. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah, it's dun, him dun, 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 dun. completely not conforming to any sort of tropes. It's him at his most raw and authentic. Whereas I feel like... He also got he, Jared Leto before he lost his mind. Yeah, on the method acting. <laughs> um, <laughs> but then Black Swan's a bit more... I find Black Swan a bit safe, but not in a bad way. I don't think it's bad. I don't think it's trying to be too much, and I don't think it's trying to be too little. I think it's perfectly oh, beautifully I, placed. Yeah, but what potentially it's doing. the stage of an artist's career where they don't tr- need feel the need to shock anymore. They just want to tell the story within the parameters they have to tell it. Exactly, and I think no, it's very well done. But I think the best part of the film is her, her acting. That is, oh, actually no, the oh, the choreography is quite amazing. The choreography also. is incredible. Yeah, the choreography um, is incredible. So maybe the, I'd say the acting with the choreography. It's interesting how we talked. We picked up this. Like, there were so many other dance movies, and you mentioned some wonderful ones like you know the Red Shoes and things. like I know that. the Red Shoes, which which again, incredible one. dance. But then there's also. Um, not center stage, but what's the oh, one? That, what's the one that gets absolutely panned for the dancing as being ridiculous? Step up. Step up. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't even know there was ballet in Step Up. Well, I think it's like contemporary, but um. God. Shoot. Anyway, I yeah. It, let's not talk. Let's, okay. Let's, let's let's not talk about the husbands. Yeah. Um, that's not, yeah. Okay. So this takes us to the next question: Who was the most sympathetic character for you? As in the one I felt most sorry for? The one that you empathised with the most, I guess. Because there's a lot of, like, pity is is different to sort yeah. of being... No, I definitely think Nina. You know, it's yeah. funny. Like, I wouldn't even call her a struggling artist, though. She's with one of the best ballet companies. Her main struggle is she just wants that main title. Because yeah. for her, that's her ultimate well, goal. Per- and that, that's what means perfection, perfection yeah, for the, her. The unachievable so, goal. The unachievable goal, exactly. And it's kind Which of... she achieves in death. Yeah, well... It's funny, does she though. die? I don't understand that. I end. think she does. I mean, I, it's impl- it. <laughs> I don't think we know. It's an open ending. So she could die because, you know, she has a really fatal stab wound. In, in a weird way, it is It is the allegory of the happy ending. Because, like, all... I mean, it's not happy, obviously. But the idea that, like, a movie finishes... Yes. And, and, and then it's over. Because it's like all other... Like, the idea that something's perfect and then you need to just get up the next day, brush no, your teeth. No, exactly. And that's what I wanted to talk to. That part where she's falling backwards and she's about to go onto the mattress i felt like her thought process was now what i'm done I, yeah, exactly. i've achieved greatness well, what, what's next essentially like she i put in she, all this work and now i feel be, this emptiness exactly she doesn't want to be where known where winona Ryder's character is is sort of like you know i i guess she doesn't want to be at that stage of the of the artist who doesn't know what to do next um she's like right this is perfection i'm done I mean, that said, you know, obviously there's all sorts of things about the fetishization of uh, suicide as a narrative um, tool. But, I mean, it seems self-aware. I don't feel like he's falling back on that. Funny that you say we're talking about suicide. Sorry, I don't mean to be yeah, talking about this lightly. It wasn't really a suicide, No, it's not it? suicide. So- it's what I do want to say is there was also a big theme of self-harm, which we didn't even talk about because no. there's the, you know, the secret scratches on her back. There's the pulling of the skin by her nails. It's almost like well, I, it's I, not her doing it. I mean, like she's so consumed by 
her work that she doesn't even realize or notice when she is hurting herself. I don't want to lean on the term problematic because I feel like it's flogged like a dead horse, but I guess other yeah. areas that we discuss with more nuance today. Well, it's funny because the Me Too movement is so big, which is amazing. It, it should have been fucking years and years and years ago. So I feel like in a way the movie still feels so progressive because it does touch on those themes. Um, She is exploitation exploited by, power, by power figures in her, her, yeah. yeah, by a power figure. So I feel in that sense, no. But the what I will say that does feel dated is I guess the, the relationships with the other ballet dancers. I don't know. It feels very like... Mean Girls. Did you enjoy? Of course, it? no. I absolutely love it. I was so happy to visit again. Visit it again. Um, no, I did. I I really do like it. It's not as um scary as I remember it being, but at the same time, I'm not watching it on this big cinema screen. So I feel like when you're watching that on the big screen, you get more of an impact from a few of the absolutely. It's a, it's a, it's a cinematic horrors. movie. It it's is. Not, a, it's it definitely. Your phone. It's it is a film the for the cinema. The cinema. The it's cinema. cinema. Yeah. Okay. Speaking of speaking of cinema. Yes. Let's move on. I'm so excited because this movie is an an Academy Award winning Oscar classic. What's it gonna be? It is Barbie of Swan Lake. I'm I'm not joking, people. Um. Yeah, so our second film that we are reviewing tonight is Barbie of Swan Lake, which is a 2003 computer animated fantasy film directed by Owen Hurley. So futuristic, computer animated, how do they do that? <laughs> it was released to video and DVD on September 30. Oh, wait, can three- I just, wait, stop. So didn't it wasn't in cinemas? No, it was it was direct. Okay, wait. Just to clarify, guys, I was joking about it being an Oscar-winning classic. Okay, it's a director-video. No, too late. I'm writing di- an email. No, it's a director-video and DVD movie. It came out September 30, 2003. That's exactly three days after my birthday. I was not born in 2003. I was born a bit, no way. A bit before that. I was going to say people are going to like set up fake accounts <laughs> yeah. and credit cards using you. You're going to dox yourself. Anyway, and it made its television premiere on Nickelodeon on November 16, 2003. So a little bit afterwards. Anyway, I'm going to give a quick plot synopsis. Um, and here it is. Based on the Tchaikovsky Ballet, Swan Lake, the film is the third CGI entry in the Barbie film series, and the second entry based on a Tchaikovsky Ballet, the first was Barbie and the Nutcracker. Barbie and Odette are voiced by Kelly Sheridan. Okay, you know what? I'm going to stop with this shitty accent. No, no, the no, young... no you can do it now. <laughs> okay. Do something. The, <laughs> the young daughter no, of, a, of, a, of a baker follows a unicorn into a into the enchanted forest and is transformed into a swan by an evil wizard intent on defeating the fairy queen. But yeah, so pretty much Barbie of Swan Lake is just a spin on the whole Swan Lake um, story by Tchaikovsky. So we're going to go a bit into this. David, I guess... When was the first time you watched Barbie of Swan Lake? First time I watched Barbie Swan Lake. Of Swan Lake. Of Swan Lake, excuse, was last weekend at your place. It was indeed, because mm-hmm. David had never seen it before. I but I had seen Barbie of Swan Lake back in 2003, because I, I have no shame in saying this now. I loved the CGI Barbie films when I was a kid. I mean, it was probably a sign of future things, but I... Shame's not always a bad thing, But I absolutely loved it. I was definitely, though, a Barbie movie closet lover because I knew at the time, oh, Barbie movies, they're not for boys, they're for girls. So, obviously, during primary school, I'd keep it very secret and in the closet that I loved these Barbie films. I don't know. They haven't... I don't think it's aged as well as what I remember. We'll get there later. We'll get there later. But let's, let's actually talk about the... 
the film, I think we should start with the elephant in the room, and that is the CGI. It is not aged well at all. It's quite funny that everyone always targets the Polar Express, because everyone always says the CGI is so uncanny, but... With the like, cold, dead eyes. But this movie is so much worse. Well, can like, I say why I think that is? So, sorry, so much worse. So, it's a lot worse, I should say. Much, many worse. Mm. Um, look, I... Okay, I think there are some. We have some crossovers between this and the last movie. Oh, bo- okay. oh here we go. Here but I do think go. that because Barbie is earlier, um, you know, it, it may struggle to articulate seven them as years well. earlier. Seven years earlier, yeah. exactly. Look, I think that unconsciously, uh, the Barbie movie also tackles ideals of unreachable perfection, um, mm. especially when Barbie shows up looking like um, Bo Derek with a head injury. Yeah, but I don't, I don't think that was the intention of no. the filmmakers. Maybe, maybe now looking back on it, you can look at it like that. But it's I don't ve- think at the time it was about perfection. It's about no, it's being about brave. The, the slogan for the film we'll is get to that because I have a lot to say about that. But being yeah, yeah. <laughs> But I do like the parallel. There were some close-ups of Barbie, which reminded me, Barbie's a Barbie doll. And that was also reminded me of the scenes in Black Swan where you have, like, the disgustingness of the feathers poking through the skin. Mm. There were scenes where there was close-ups of Barbie and you could see the hair plugs of the fake hair coming through her head. I'm like, oh, she's a doll. That's right. (laughs) And they're trying to depict a doll in a sympathetic way. And it enters the uncanny valley where it looks like a demon. But also the eyes. The eyes were such unusual colours. Like... Barbie's so Barbie's name in the film's Odette and her father who is the town baker he had these like acid green eyes and it literally it looked like he was tripping like a lot of the characters look like they're tripping because their eyes are so big the the eye colors are natural it looks Very really strange pupils. and even <laughs> with the animation the the dialogue, the voice acting. The, I actually quite enjoy the voice acting. That's what they lifts. Have, they have some big names. That's they what have lifts the lady this film. Who was from Friends on there. <laughs> <laughs> What's her name? The lady from Friends. I can't remember the one. The poor woman who always has to be the shrill characters. She's a wonderful voice actor. Got you. But even like, so the voice actor would say their piece, but then it's almost as if the animation wasn't matching the speed of the voice acting. It felt very delayed and robotic and disconnected. Do, Do you agree? agree? Oh, absolutely. Oh, okay, cool. I agree. You were Can looking you at me like, um, like no. How dare you? How dare you? Um, yeah, I mean, and this movie definitely plays more of Tchaikovsky's music than Black Swan does. Would you agree with that? Um, I thought the whole I movie don't. was. No, that's a good point. It, yeah. it definitely is scored with his music a lot more. But now I'm thinking of um, Black Swan. I'm like, I wonder, how much of that does he work into the soundtrack? That's interesting. I mean, it definitely did during the dance sequences, yeah. and I think there were a few parts where Nina's like walking through the streets of New York, yeah. and it does play a little bit. But I don't know. I know maybe I just noticed it more in Barbie because um, it's specifically played for the different dance sequences. Okay, that is something that I want to give a little bit of credit to. Oh, the dancing because yeah. it was choreographed yeah, it was by the New York. Was it the New York Ballet? And which is very impressive. But Mattel, obviously, they can afford that. That's no real crazy feat. Couldn't they afford... I mean, I guess it was 2003, but yes. better animators. But that's something I wondered. Were they mapping dancers' bodies? Because when you they watch were. the dancing... Yeah, they are... Um, which is very impressive. To, for me, that was the most organic part of the entire film. The dancing. The dancing. Yeah, the dance sequences were beautiful. Um, Let's discuss the themes. So- oh, my fucking... Oh, the themes. Okay, this is what I don't understand about the movie. The whole movie is about being brave. That's the catch slogan for the uh, film. It's be brave, be brave. You, no, no, no. It's, you know, the tagline is you're braver than you oh, think. Oh, sorry. You're braver than you think. I mean, that. look, I'm not going to lie. Beautiful message to send across to children. I think it's sinister, but let's talk about that in a second. Okay, but what I don't understand is to be brave in this film was... 
her falling in love with a man that she had met for not even an hour. I think it was five, was it five minutes? Also, another thing I want to say, the prince's name is Prince Daniel. Now, I'm sorry, but this Ugh. guy really got the short... He got the short end of the stick when it came to names. Like, you have Barbie as Odette, you have Rothbart, you have Erasmus, you have Odile. Such interesting names. And then you have Daniel... What are you saying? What are you saying about the name Daniel? I think it's a beautiful. It name. is a beautiful name, but I mean, you got all these kind of cool names. Prophet. You got, yeah, he was a prophet, but like you have all <laughs> these, you it. have all these names, extravagant names, I should say, and then you have Daniel. There was a goblin in the film called Erasmus. Hello, Erasmus, who who, who um, guarded the Book of Forest Law. Even the book has a more interesting name than he does. You know, you're you're not. You're not wrong there. So I was, I thought this film was going somewhere. No, no, you did not. I did for a second. There. What? Thought, okay, so let's unpack something. Wait, wait, wait. So you're saying that the beginning of the film, you thought it was going somewhere interesting. So I you're saying you like the opening of the film. No, I'm saying it tricked me. <laughs> We're watching this film and Barbie shows up and she's, you know, this wide-eyed, bewildered, sort of like non-character going, Naive. oh, things just happen and everything's nice. And then... I mean, it is a nice town, I will say. Not well, it's an idealized town. Anyway, that loves to hunt animals. There is well, that's exactly the yeah. bit where I thought something's happening. Out of nowhere, this hairless pink, like some sort of sunburnt dolphin mm, unicorn I'd say, shows I'd say up. Purple, oh. more purple than pink. Purple unicorn shows up, being chased by hunters trying to catch it. Now, this is the bit where I thought, what themes are they unpacking here? Quaid, are you aware of the tapestry, uh, the lady and the unicorn? No. Okay. Is that tied to Tchaikovsky's history? It's not, but it is a um, six-panel tapestry mm-hmm. um, in the... Um, what culture? Is this, like, English? Well, it's, it, well, it's, it, it's French. Yeah, for design drawn in Paris around 1500. Around this time, beautiful young women with blonde hair, usually, depicted admiring themselves in mirrors. Next to unicorns is often depicted in a story representing chastity, virginity, perfection, and purity. And the maiden was the only person who could commune and tame the unicorn. Of course, because she represents all those things. Because she represents all those things. So in the beginning of this film where all these men are running around in the village trying to pierce and penetrate this unicorn. Oh, my God. I thought, wow, are they really diving into this ideal of, of, of butchering this innocence and the fact that Barbie is the one that can communicate and, and help and tame this unicorn? I thought, are they leaning into this metaphor? Are they, have they done their research? And Quaid, they hadn't. Okay, well, look, let me just add the unicorn's name, for anyone wondering, is Lila. And what I did appreciate was at first you think that Lila is this beautiful, elegant unicorn, but then all of a sudden... You hear Lila speak, and she represents the LGBT community 100%. She is a dyke unicorn, and it's amazing. Oh, my word. And I just loved how badass Lila is. She doesn't take shit. Like, even the way she spoke to Barbie was really, like, a bit rough. She... She, I think the first line that she says to her is, are you going to just watch me, or are you going to untie me? So I was like, Lila, go. Yeah. Now, let's discuss... The plot, which is very thin. Is that where you're going to go? Well, I was going to discuss the enemy, but I guess we need to discuss the plot. The plot... Look, the plot doesn't make sense because it's it's essentially like she follows Lila into the Enchanted Forest. She meets the Fairy Queen, whose name is the Fairy Queen. Who's meant to be magical, but she can float. And that's about it. Yeah, all she does is float. There's a bit of a sword in the stone theme where the Chosen One will pick the... um, the crystal out of the... Was it out of a tree or was it out of a rock? 
I, you know, I or think let's it was say Tree Rock. She picks the crystal, and then they're all like, "Oh my goodness, you are the chosen one because you picked the crystal out of this rock, and now you're gonna save us from Rothbart, who's taken over the forest." But what happens next, Quaid? Does she say, "Oh, you guys are in peril, and I'm the chosen one, the only one that can save you. I'm going to because I'm braver than I think." Does she say that? Well, she says, "I think you have the wrong girl," but obviously she's gonna say that because you need a character journey. She can't just straight away at the beginning be like, "Yes, I can do this." Hmm. There was no point of the film where she actually took a brave or proactive choice the whole movie things are happening to her yes she, she yes. says no to the crystal and then everything goes terrible she says no to going to the ball and then everything goes terrible she just ends up there because she has to fly like no there was one time when she is brave and that is when she worked out with the other forest animals and elves how to retrieve Erasmus from Rothbard's um, fortress. Uh, from that, the house. That was You're when right. she was being she brave. She was like, I'm going to fly up. in there and I'm going to fucking save my friend. Because I feel like yeah. the message that she's giving the little girl, she's Barbie at the beginning is telling the story to a little girl. It's very yeah. meta. Then Barbie's playing Odette in the story. story. It seems that she's saying to the girl, rather than taking charge or having agency over your life, things <laughs> yeah. are going to happen to you, but you'll just deal with it because you're braver than you think. Oh, and at the end actually, of the day, yeah, a man will show up and save you and it's all fine because didn't you do it by dealing with it and you might even know him for 24 hours but it's true love because you fell on top of each other when you're unconscious because of a wizard yeah i think to be honest when the prince comes into the film it that i guess that's when the film definitely falls flat because it's it's almost like but i thought the theme was supposed to be you're braver than you think but really it's about finding prince charming and falling in love because love will save the day which i think was beautiful back in like the 30s but I, mean, I don't think love's going to save you now, honey. Well, also, like, Quaid, can you mention um, the... What's the animated movie that's like... <gasps> oh my goodness! How have we not mentioned these? So I do want to quickly say, guys, that there were two other full-length feature animated films about Swan Lake that came out before Barbie of Swan Lake. And those films were <laughs> Swan Lake from 1981, which was actually a Japanese animated film. And then the next film that I'm going to mention, one of my personal favourites, is... The Swan Princess from 1994, but unfortunately, we couldn't review those films as part of tonight because well, there's, they, no there's no dancing. Exactly, but there is an amazing song in it. Remember, for longer and forever. Do you remember that song? Yeah. No, I don't remember. Oh, uh, wait. Have you ever seen The Swan Princess? I think the year it came out. Oh my god. I mean, look. To be honest, I haven't watched it again as an adult, so I don't know if it ages as well. But the reason I wanted to bring this up was because you just mentioned, I guess, the um, I don't want to say anti-feminist, but the idea that a man will show up and save you, and you don't really have to do anything. Yeah. Now there is a line at the beginning of the film in 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 the animated one. The, where they're about to wed them and then she was like what she's Odette says to him Prince Eric well what do you he he says to her you're beautiful and then she says what else and then he says what else is there and then she says I'm sorry but I can't go ahead with this marriage exactly so we have an earlier film about the same story that is at least self-aware enough to address the fact that there should be more to it than a prince showing up going you're beautiful I want to marry you she yes. goes hang on and what yeah. And what else? What yeah. about me as a person? Yeah, yeah, and then she she disappears because of that. And there are obstacles because of that. But it's because she's independent and because she chooses to, um, I guess, ask for more for life, which she's... Um, which is great. Which is wonderful. We support it. We support it. Let's discuss the baddies. Oh, yes. Okay. Oh, my goodness. Okay, so Rothbart's daughter... I'm sorry, she is iconic. She stole the show. She had the most amazing, high-pitched, squealing screeching voice i 
like I love her character. Best haircut, very popular nowadays. Sort of this contemporary sort of bottleneck mullet thing going on. Everyone's wearing and them the now. And the dress was kind of I like the dress. I mean, I know that you weren't a big fan of the costume design in general. You hate Barbie's main dress at the end. It's a strong word, but yeah, I hate it. I, I kind of loved it. You said that it reminded you of like a drag queen outfit. I like drag queen outfits on drag queens. So you thought so you think that that dress would look really beautiful on a drag queen is what you're saying. I think there are better drag queen dresses out there. Oh, I don't know. I'm a sucker for Barbie's dress in this film. I really like it. Maybe a different color tone. I don't know about the like light pink and blues. I don't know about the shape. I love oh, LED. I love, I, the, I love shape. the dress with LED lights under the tulle. So you got me there. But um... there were LED lights. Oh wait, there were LED lights at the very end when she's wearing wings with her dress. Uh... Yes. Um, we're talking about the baddies. Though. Yeah, the baddies. Sorry. Yeah. Do you, do you agree with what I'm saying about Odile? Oh yeah, she's great. I feel I like. Yeah, I feel bad for her. Uh, because she turns gets turned into a pig. That's the that's the next thing that um yeah. I feel like that this movie also has um tensions between the natural world and the human artificial world as being the good safe place and then nature as being this e- evil place which for me lent into um sort of themes explored in antichrist like where the natural you know oh my goodness how are you bringing antichrist into this jeez <laughs> because of the scene where barbie gets the scissors and cuts no no oh, oh don't oh let's not go there anyway. um I don't. I look. I don't know if I agree with that because I felt like they, no, they were showing the human world as more, I guess, awful. Because as yes. soon as a beautiful exotic animal would come in, they'd be like, "Be careful, or you're going to get hunted." But in the magical world, evil is being perpetrated yeah. by someone by who, Rothbard. by Rothbard, and his tool for doing so is turning people into animals or turning himself into an animal. The expression of the natural world is the chaotic, unorganized evil world, and the human world, the structured world, the palace, that's the safe place, that's the pure place, that's the beautiful place. And I don't know, I thought that that was... I did love the castle design in this film. I thought it was a beautiful palace that Prince Daniel lives in with his elegant mother who looks like Kate Blanchett. Blanchett. Beautiful, beautiful. Um, Yeah, the moat to me looks like a swimming pool, but I'm not against it. I, I loved the castle. I was all about it. That the, the, the design of the town, the design of the castle, I was like, yeah. I, <laughs> yeah, I'm here for it. Where, where are we... Um, so we're pretty much saying <laughs> we're saying that the <laughs> we're saying that the director of this movie really loves Lars von Trier. Oh, we are. Oh, yeah. No. Oh, <laughs> Owen, Owen Hurley. But yeah, no. I think, and I guess what I do hate is when people make the excuse, "Oh, but it's only a kids' film. It's meant for kids." But I feel like that's so shitty because if we always had that excuse, then we would have never had the Disney Renaissance. We would have never had. So many movies if we kept on using that as an excuse. But it's funny, though, because when I watched movies as a children... As a children? They all... As, as oh, sorry. As, 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 sorry. When I watched movies I as a child... Yeah. When I watched the movies as a child, I couldn't differentiate between what was a good movie and what was, like, shit. Whereas watching these back as an adult, I'm like, oh, this ages well... This doesn't age well. So that's also, I find that very funny. I am self-aware enough to know that, yes, this is a children's movie and it is to be entertaining to children. It doesn't need to unpack all these huge meta things. But that said... Adults should be able to enjoy, I think, a children's film too. Yes and no. But also, I do think that, you know, messages... The fact that you told me from the other Swan Lake movie, there were that scene left such an impact on you as a child about what there's what else about me other than my beauty. It's like, no, there are messages that you can put in there that are empowering to children. Exactly. 
important. So it's a bit slack to sort of just go, it's pretty, it's Barbie strutting around with a tiny little waist. And to Barbie's credit, like want to tell, whatever, they've made some very, let's say, slow, but movements in the right direction to sort of make Barbie, I guess, tiny. Ones. I don't know. No, I actually, don't, no, they're not I've really. Seen, I've seen <laughs> scenes from the new Barbie movies. I haven't watched them, obviously, because I'm an adult now. Um, He's seen all of them. I have not. Um, no, I don't know. I, there's something... I don't know. I liked it when Barbie focused on, like, you know, old fairy tales, but I guess that's, like, the old soul within me because it's all very... Exactly. Um, We're getting old. Yeah, the films are very contemporary now. I think there's, like, a Barbie in space or something, and I'm like, oh, no, I think Lost Barbie... Space, Barbie. Yeah, I think, I don't know, Barbie of Swan Lake's more appealing to me than Barbie in space. I don't know. I mean, yeah, I, I also think, though, that we're both classicists and it yeah, appeals we are. to us. Yeah. Um, all right, well, uh, final questions. My turn. Okay, so what was your favourite part? Oh, you better say what I hope you're going to say. Oh, my favourite part was when um, sh- the pig appears, when yes! she gets turned into a pig. Yeah, it was great. I mean... You have to explain that, though, to people listening, because not everyone is probably going to watch Barbie of Swan Lake. Well, what's her name? The Odile. So, Odile, who's sort of like... She is the black swan. She's the Mila Kunis of this film. Yeah, and she's Rothbart's daughter, Although, who's the evil sorcerer. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, how does she accidentally get turned into a pig? Oh, because... Oh, she goes to turn the prince... She, sorry, yeah, Dan, the Rothbart, Daniel. Yeah, Daniel. Rothbart goes to turn Prince Daniel into a pig. And then I think, is it his sword that reflects it? Yeah. Onto her? Or is it not a sword? Am I just making it up now? Oh god, I don't know. I would have believed anything. It's anyway, not the crystal, so it, it's reflected for some reason. For some reason, yeah, something. It's reflected off something. I watched it a week ago. I've forgotten. And then the spell lands on her instead of Prince Daniel, which is great. She acts it very well. <laughs> Sympathetic as an animal. Loved it. Beautiful. Um, yeah, that was a funny scene. Yes. If you if you're not going to watch the movie, everyone, at least watch the scene when Odile turns into a pig. Right in YouTube, uh, Daddy, make it go away. Odile turns into a pig, Barbie or Swan Lake, something like that, and you'll see the scene. It is it is amazing. Um anyway, so um that was your favorite part, David. Um who was the most sympathetic character? Most sympathetic character for me, but I have a caveat to it. Most sympathetic character were the what did she call them? Her elves or whatever? The elves who animals. had the weird... Oh, we need to talk about that quickly. They're meant to be... Um, elves. Elves, but they are children. And I get it. Yeah. They're, they're baby Barbies cast I thought elves, elves... Weren't elves... Elves are little, you know... A little what, Quaid? Creatures. They're not fairies. They're elves. Um, Like, is... I, I always thought elves were fairies without wings. <laughs> I don't think that's... I think they're whatever you want them to be. Oh, okay. the, I, I did think that they were the characters that had the most depth because they had humour, they had compassion for each other, they um, had what, visual the, the elves? Yes. Mm, the, okay, uh, between the skunk and the porcupine. Yep. Um, yeah, they were the ones that I... They snapped me out of the humdrum, dead-faced Barbie wandering around just letting things happen to her. <laughs> but I thought you said that you didn't like their voices, like the vocal... Um... Okay, the accents I found... Um... They were terrible. They were worse than my shitty American trailer accent. You mean your wonderful before. accent. Um, Quaid's an actor. Please employ him. Um, oh, dear, I don't. They... <laughs> they... No, but please. <laughs> um... But but even while doing questionable accents, they still manage to emote more than the other characters. Mm. Okay, fair enough. Alexa Chung, the fa- fairy queen, looks like Alexa Chung. I've been <gasps> oh my, my god, the it. fairy queen looks like she's had so much Botox done. I mean, she's made of plastic. She didn't move her face. Jesus. She can't. Um, where does? <laughs> I mean, do we really have to? Uh, do I have to ask you this? Where does it fail? Because I feel like we've already stated how it fails. 
character development barbie wasn't a person and i think as the central figure as the person that you're following i'm used to movies that are about the princess usually having a two-dimensional prince that's fine you know his movie you can unpack him as a character but she's the central figure it she's the hero's journey you're meant to be on and i feel like there were characters that were peripheral that we got far more um exploration of whereas she's just walking around going oh golly gosh what's happening now okay no i don't think it was like that it was more like who me Oh, no, I'm not the right one. I'm not the chosen one. Um, Has the film dated? Well, I think you've answered that already. Yes. Have areas you found didn't quite hit the same today? Well, yeah. I mean, again, it's a children's movie. I think you could still plonk a kid in front of it and they would enjoy it. I think the, like, film is chaotic neutral. I don't think it does much harm unless that's all you're feeding your children. I think there's much worse stuff out there today. You were talking about gateway drugs before. It's definitely the weed to the Bratz doll. That is meth. Oh, I don't know. The Bratz movies were quite terrible, so I don't... No, but that's what I mean. I'm like, she doesn't necessarily send the most positive message about body image and things like that. (laughs) But at the end of the day, she's She's I mean, relatively it's body neutral. goals, though. <laughs> get, get that rib removed, girl. If I could have that waist, I would, yeah. <laughs> and be six foot a million and a forehead that goes for days. But but at the end of the day, you know, it's a, it's a Jesus Christ, it's a kid's flick. Like, let's just let it be what it is. It's a shame because I feel like it could have been more. Oh, I, you know what? It definitely could have been more, but did it need to be? No, you know what? And this, and this is true. It made them enough money. This is true. Oh, yeah. I think they made so much money in the DVD sales. It's also going to be interesting to see Greta Gerwig's Barbie film. However, I don't know. I wish... I have a feeling that it could be a lot more abstract and... I think it definitely will be. I have a feeling that Greta Gerwig's Barbie film is pretty much going to be about, oh, there's more to a person than how they look, which is fine. That's a great message, but I feel like it's been overdone and I don't know. Also, I, feel I don't like... think it's true. I think that when, you know... <laughs> <laughs> I think it is about what's on yeah, the outside. It's what's on the outside. Or else how do people know that you're good on the inside? <laughs> We're superficial here, apparently. <laughs> yep, that's why it's a podcast. <laughs> can't see what we have, we have the looks for radio. Yeah. Did you enjoy it? Well, we obviously know you didn't fucking enjoy it. I had a great it. time. It was nice to sit on your beautiful velvet couch and green velvet. Oh, couch. that's right. And you got um, you got your partner to run out and get us lollies. So it was... yeah, that's that that's true. Yeah. That's true. What would you give the movie out of five? Stars well, I didn't think we were doing stars, but um, is... I'd give it two stars. Out of five stars. I would give it a star. A star. Look, I think voice acting gives it one star. Oh, and true. Then, you know, oh, but then I and then uh, and then I, like I the would voice say actors design are of the design. I liked the design. Obviously, the CGI wasn't good. But I the didn't like design the design. Of, the oh, unicorn the makes me very pieces. uncomfortable. Yeah, oh, but all of Barbie's sidekick characters in all the films are very unsettling. Yeah, like like that in Barbie, uncanny, like the, the the eyes of the unicorn were oh, too close together. After, and, yeah, and the weird hairlessness of it freaked me if out. If you think that's bad, after this, you should watch um the scene from Barbie as like the island princess or something, and her sidekick is an elephant, and this elephant has like the biggest eyelashes and the most <laughs> awkward. It's I really mean, elephants are sexy. Yeah, well, yeah. Anyway, so are we ready to move on to our final little segment of today? I, I think it's drumming it up a bit to call it a segment, but Quaid, what are we talking about next week? Well, okay, so we have a massive jar here with all these different. It's a vase. How dare it. you? Also, vase. Oh, okay. Yeah, it is a vase. Sorry. And we're going to pick out a piece of paper that is going to have a random theme on it. Pretty much, David's going to give me a film to watch, and I'm going to give David a film to watch that is related to the theme I pick. So Let's do it. I'm excited. Oh, I'm so scared. I'm, 
I'm so. Oh, oh. Okay. Oh my goodness. Okay. Ready? Yep. Say it into the mic. You got to say it into your mic. Oh my god. This is so pollution. Did you write that down? Yeah, I wrote pollution. You're amazing. Okay, no, that's it. You're, Quaid, oh, you're amazing. Oh my goodness, no, pollution. No, that's, that's a good oh. thing. Okay, cool. So next week might be a bit heavy and unsettling. Or but not. Oh no. Maybe oh. plastics are the way of the future. Uh, microplastics are the new I condoms. I mean, we have microplastics in our blood system. Exactly. Blood I want to be made of bits of credit card. Yeah, okay. Well. And be infertile. I don't, by the way, and use real condoms, everyone. They're wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> This is a safe sex the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> is, are we talking about movies or safe sex? I mean, look, safe sex is important. It is. Um, we need to have a message, Quaid. We're about something. Yeah, yeah we're about <laughs> um, Anyway, so yeah, please join us next week when, you know, we drop the next podcast. We uh, discuss pollution. We Yeah, discuss pollution in film. In film. In film. We're not just going to talk about pollution. Yes. Tell you to use the recycling and how it's all being shipped to China. And you can, if you'd like to give us a follow, please uh, follow us on our Instagram handle at Cinephile Paradiso Podcast. Quaid Kirchner is an actor based in Sydney. You can follow him on Instagram at... Quaid Kirchner. Are you on any other social media that you can... No, just follow me on Instagram. Beautiful. And I am David Charles Collins, a photographer and artist. You can follow me at David Charles Collins on Instagram. Yeah, and I think that's it for tonight. Beautiful. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening. Hope to see you next week. Well hear you or I won't see you at all next week. Listen to us next week. Yeah, listen to us next week. <laughs> Love you. Bye. Cinephile Paradiso is recorded on the land of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We wish to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land and pay respects to their elders past, present and emerging. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land. Music